I like to reverse engineer. I always ask the question, how is this made? Why is it the way it is? Uh, I used to take things apart when I was a kid. Um, couldn't put them back anyway. So then, yeah, all the gifts and toys and the, most of the first things, they were just tossed away because they were unrepairable, beyond repair. But I learned. And nowadays, I rather fix things. If they're broken, I take them, look at them, make them work again. Uh, so that's, that's good fun. And so what I would like to do is kind of reverse engineer this statement. Start maybe with the end and work all the way towards the beginning uh, of, of the statement. Um, but before we dig into it, I would, like to, uh, I would like us to watch a video. I prepared one, so if it's uh, ready, let's just have a look at it. There's an amazing group of people uh, who make this video. Just have a look. Brilliant, right? Uh, I find it ever so helpful the way these guys do their animations and they just get things stick to my head because I often tend to forget them. So uh, let's just not fool ourselves. Whenever we talk about God, we will be doing it in a very inappropriate way. And I say that just because there's no way we can talk about this creator God in a way that fully explains him and in a way that we can fully understand him. But there is something we can understand and I'm just going for it. So we're talking today about this creator God, who, who is the author of everything really that is. And I mean not only things we can see, not only part of the material world, from the tiniest subatomic building blocks of matter, yeah, starting with that, yeah, he did that, also to the mind-boggling scale of the universe, the one we know, who knows what's beyond that. He's, he's the one who made that too. So from the tiniest bit to the biggest galaxies and, and and uh, celestial um, structures, God is the one who created all those. From the most incredible diversity of the biosphere, all the plants and all the animals, if, if you just look on Discovery Channel or somewhere else, sometimes you have to really laugh. Who could have this kind of creativity and imagination to create all those funny little animals and the big impressive ones and the cats? I'm not a cat lover, uh, except for when the cats are over 100 kilos. So those I like. Um, no offense. But also, you see, this God has created all the fine-tuning of all the laws that govern the universe. If you're a little bit of a geek and if you like physics and astrophysics, you, you will know that all those complicated formula and all those numbers with lots and lots of decimal places, they're, they're really important. They're really important that they are that way and you can't, you can't move one of those decimal places around because the universe would either implode or would just blow up completely. So who did that? Well, it is this God we're talking about. He is the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, as it were. All, all things, all these material things spring from a personal being who is outside of the universe but still gets involved into it, very much so. He's selflessly and lovingly sustaining his creation. All the, all the stars and all the little tiny animals um, roaming around in the, in the ocean, it's him who keeps them alive. It's actually the spirit of God who will do all these things. Also, he is the ruler, the boss, the chief, the master of the unseen realm. There is an unseen realm. That's not part of our material world. And, and it's a spiritual reality, very much a reality as this one in which we live. And there, all the entities, all the beings exist without being bound to a material um, space or time 
or a material way of being. It is a reality, very different from ours, and sometimes they mix, sometimes they, they, they interact with each, with, um, each other. In this, in this kind of spiritual realm where God also is the creator and the boss, we would find other gods, lesser gods, um, or like the sons of gods, if you read in Genesis, uh, you will find cherubim and angels and seraphim and all kinds of spirits. They are the ones who inhabit the spiritual world. And also God, being a spirit, he lives there. He is boss in that world too. That's why we say in our creed, he is the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. He is the maker of the material reality and he's also the maker of the spiritual uh, reality, the unseen realm uh, that we could call. And that makes him almighty. That makes him boss and chief and um, in charge of everything that has ever existed or will ever exist. He's supreme. He's all-powerful. He's incomparable. He's the prime, if you want, if you're into that kind of stuff. Yeah? And yet, he gets involved in both realms, the spiritual and the materials, and he wants them both to be ruled. Now, maybe in a society like today, you would say, well, why? We don't like rules. We want to have a barbecue on the beach in Seaford. We don't like rules that tell us we shouldn't or we should be careful. Well, the problem with the lack of rule is that it leads to chaos. And one thing specific about our God, about the God of the Hebrew Bible, of the Christian Bible, is that he created order out of chaos. He took raw, unordered chaos and formed it into beautiful, making sense things. And that's why God wants both the spiritual realm and the material realm to be ruled. And if we look back at creation, at the creation story, he created man, humankind, and he gave them this charge. He said, you should rule the earth on my behalf. You should take the potential of this beautiful and good, really good planet and make it even better. Look, I show you. I make a garden. I put you in the garden. Have a good look at it, how I did it. And now you do the same to the rest of the planet. That's what God wanted humans to do with the planet. I guess it's no surprise when I tell you that we really messed it up and we still do so. But at least we know what the plan was and we know what the plan is because there is no plan B in God's creation. It's going to be perfect. And if you read the book at the end, if you look at the last pages of the Bible, creation will be restored to order. It will be restored to the plan that God always had. But it needs to be ruled. And that's very, very important in this case. We believe in a God who is the Father, who is the Almighty. You need someone who is almighty to keep order. You need someone who is able to handle chaos and bring it back to order. And whenever we mess it up, he's the one who will fix it, isn't it? That's the God the Bible speaks about. Why then do we call him Father? What's got the universe to do with a father figure? Now the problem is that we as humans, the way God created us, is that we learn by connecting new stuff to stuff we already know. Everything you learn, everything you've ever learned, it's by just connecting the dots. It's something you have experienced in the past and you compare what you're learning now to that. You create connections, you create bridges. There's a way of memorizing and of keeping things inside of you. It also applies to the Bible. Once you're on the right track, you will, you will get to follow it. Yeah, just like the guys explained, if we, if we have a Hebrew understanding about 
the diversity in the Godhead and still being one God, it's no problem if you read the New Testament and you find Jesus being called the wisdom of God or, or the word of God or whatever, the son of God or the son of man, and it's still one single person. It's very easy because we connect. How then would we know, how then could we know this God? His main characteristic as the Bible describes it, is holiness. Now, well, that's a word we don't use in everyday language. What does it mean? We could say his otherness, his different. It's just he doesn't fit in these kind of categories we have. He's not comparable. So then, could we know him? No. Because so, he's so much outside of what we're used to. He's so much outside of our experience. Unless, unless he chooses to reveal himself. He chooses to make himself known. He chooses to maybe enter into our boxes, enter into our categories, talk to us and, and interact with us in a way that's familiar somehow so that we can make that kind of connection. That's why God decided to refer to himself as a father. He did it already in the Old Testament, if you read it. Why? Because the concept is universal to humanity. Wherever you go, in any place you would go, in any time of human history you would go, and if you mention the concept of father, people would know what it's all about. It, it's familiar to us, and God wants that to be so. He wants us to understand that the closest way to understanding him is to thinking about the concept of a father. It should take our mind to think about genetics. You just got your father's eyes. I mean, there are some pretty beautiful songs about that, yeah? or other stuff which you inherited from your father. It talks about belonging. We should think when we hear the word father about belonging. There is no father without children, and that creates something we call family. It creates a group of people that feel they belong to each other. It should make us think about provision because that's what fathers do. They provide for their families. They provide for their children, for their wives, for every, everyone who is part of the family, even for the pets sometimes. Dad, can I please have a little doggy? And then you have the little doggy, and who's taking the doggy for a walk? Well, it's dad because I'm sleepy and I can't do it, yeah? But that's what dads do, don't they? It's also supposed to make us think about teaching. Who, who taught you to swim or to ride a bicycle or... All kinds of little thingies, like, like putting butter on a toast. Well, sometimes it's the dad, sometimes the mom, but, you know, the concept is there. We should think about learning and teaching in the context of father and children. We should think about protection. Who's the one who really protects you? If the big bad dog is barking at you, who do you run to? You just grab daddy's hand. That's what you do. When the big boys are taunting you and, you know, what do you do? You, you, you talk to your dad. You say, those guys, they don't leave me alone. And he will sort it out because dad is the big guy. That's what you look at him when you're a kid. Also, it should make us think about inheritance. There is, there is something about father and children and generations that, that something is passed along, not just genes, sometimes property, sometimes a legacy, uh, a way of doing things. That's how cultures develop. In all, all the good things we have in our lives should come from our fathers. The problem is that sometimes they don't. But just imagine, just imagine for a second a world where every human is totally and selflessly loved by its father. Just imagine for a second 
that this little human not only gets the genes from his father, but also the right environment, an environment in which this little human can belong, an environment in which it can grow and thrive alongside the rest of the family and develop all its potential and learn how to participate in the human project, become a member and part of society. What would it be like if that would happen in every single instance of father and child? Just imagine that kind of family where there is total, absolute provision for physical, mental, emotional needs, an environment in which skills are taught and given to the next generation, from, from riding a bicycle all the way to doing your family's finances, where one feels safe and protected from harm. What would it be like? What would it be like if in every single family there is a legacy that's passed on through the generations, a good one, where even material inheritance is just increased and passed on for the benefit of the greater society. But we often don't think about God this way, do we? Why is that? I think it has mostly to do with me and you and us, because we as humans, we're, we're really broken. It's because of the brokenness of us parents and our parents that we don't think about God, the Father, the way we should think. We humans, as images of God, we distort the perception by setting a less than ideal example. I'm sure you would agree with me, and being here as Sheila's dad is a bit embarrassing in talking about that, because she and Nikki and Petra and all of them they, they know me, and they know my brokenness, and they know my weaknesses, and they know my failures. But still, I'm their dad. Am I setting a good example? I don't know. You should ask them. But all the stuff I get wrong has the potential to distort their view about God the Father. And I suspect it's the same with you. When you hear God, and you hear the word Father, what does it make to you? What does it do to you? How do you feel about it? Human fathers all have shortcomings. They're absent or abusive or dominating or weak or you name it, or all of them. And that's because we're human and we, we, we're broken. We need a savior. We need some redemption. We need some restoration. What are we to do then? The problem is that we import those kind of experiences we had in our families with our dads. We import it to whenever we hear a preach about God the Father or whenever we open the scriptures and we read about God the Father. We import that and we think that God the Creator, the Almighty, the Most High is like my dad. And that's actually the other way around. You put the horse in front of the cart, don't you? Well, let's then say this, God the Father, the Creator, the Almighty, He is the model. He is the original, and we are the copies. We're supposed to reflect what He is in our world and to our children. And because we think that about God, we keep Him at a distance, don't we? Because we don't want to be hurt again. We don't want to be let down again. 
We don't want to be disappointed again. We don't want to be abandoned again. It's too painful. It's too much to bear. And then what we do is just not fair because we reject or keep at a safe distance the one who actually is the source of life and the source of well-being and the source of everything that's ever been good. He is. He continually is. And he is on a journey and on a mission to restore everything. And one of the biggest things he has to restore is my heart. And how does it start? It starts with my mind. Why? Because that's where I have to think in a new way. That's where I have to accept some truth about God that will change my behavior. God took another step and he became human as we just read and we heard it also in the reading of the creed. Jesus became human. Why? Because then he entered into our categories. There was one of the early followers of Jesus. His name was Philip and I liked this guy a lot because he said to Jesus one thing, you know what? Let's, let's just forget about all the other complicated stuff. Show us the Father. Show me the Father. If I see the Father as he is, that's enough for me. And let's just read John 14, verses 8 and 9. Um, we'll have them up on the screen. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? It sounds like he's, he's kind of like rebuking him. I'm sure he's not. He's just helping him. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now that's a statement. Do you want to know what God the Father is like? Look at the stories about Jesus. What people saw when they met Jesus. What people experienced when they encountered Jesus. When they interacted with Jesus. That's what God the Father, the Almighty, is like. He also taught his follower to talk to the Supreme God, his Father, basically in a way that, that is a prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer, and I think we are right calling it the Lord's Prayer. I personally believe that it was a prayer that Jesus regularly would say or pray or talk to his dad, the Father in heaven. And we, if you just take the, the first bit of it in Matthew 6, verse 10, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is Father in heaven and God is Father on earth. And that's something we need to learn and to experience. What does it then mean for us to say we believe? Because the statement of the creed, I remind you, says we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. What does it mean when we say we believe? We're talking about faith. It means acknowledging something to be true. But not only that, we could call it a believing loyalty. And I like this kind of expression. I hope that nothing that I say today is new or invented by me. There's other smart people who came up with this phrase, and I like it. It's a believing loyalty. I trust that person, and I'm loyal to that person. He's a powerful being, an all-powerful being, and I just pledge my alliance to him. I'm his, and I will follow him. I acknowledge who he is to me. I will not deal with any lesser gods, whatever they are, imaginary or real. I don't. I don't go to, uh, to the gods of other nations or of other peoples because this is the one who is the most high, who is the creator of all things. 
Now, believing that is easy. It's like accepting, oh, it's true, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. But that's not what faith is. It is a believing loyalty. That includes living up to his code. Is he, if he's the sovereign, then I, me, as a part of his kingdom, I'm supposed to live by his code. I'm also supposed to perform the tasks he allocated. When God says, be fruitful, fill the earth, transforming into a much better place, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to do that in a way in which I work, in a way in which I study to be able to work, in a way in which I interact in society with other people, in a way in which I take care of the planet and enjoy all the good stuff that's here, in a way I fix broken things or broken people if I can. Some of us are really good at it. It's a way of otherness, or if you want, a way of holiness. It's being like him, that is flowing actually from an experimental knowledge of him. I don't just know about him, I met him. The thing with God, the thing with the Father, the thing with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is, once you meet them, you cannot unmeet them. Once you've encountered them, you cannot unencounter them. There's something transformational about this kind of encounter with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, with the triune God. Your life is going to be changed. Your perception is going to be changed. Your worldview is going to be changed into what it's supposed actually to be. What are some applications? What does it mean for me as a dad? What does it mean for you as a mom? as grandparents, or even as a son and a daughter. What does it mean for us? You should know what you believe. That's why we have the creed, and that's why I think it is important. Remember those truths in the dark days of pain and doubt. We all have them. Trust him to be all that a perfect father is supposed to be. He is. Be encouraged if you're a dad, to be a father just like him, or a mother, or a spiritual father and mother for other people who are much younger in their journey of faith. Reflect his paternity to the ones who are looking up to you for guidance. Maybe you're not a, an official leader, maybe you don't have a microphone and a stage, but maybe there are people who are come to you for advice, Keep that in mind as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a believer in God. You can show something. Even if it's broken and slightly distorted, you can reflect something of the Father heart of God. That's so important. If you're on a journey yet and exploring, I don't like to, to call people like that unbelievers. We all believe things. I would like to call you an explorer. You're on a journey to find God, on a journey to find meaning, on a journey to find home and a family to belong to, I would strongly encourage you to seek the encounter, the experience, meeting God. It's as easy as talking to him. He's a real person. The fact you can't see him doesn't mean he's not here. We have children in the children's room. We don't see them, but we know they're here. It's the same with God. Just talk to him and ask him, please show yourself to me. Please meet me. Please fix me. 
please heal me, whatever is necessary. And this God will respond because he's a personal being. He's more interested in your well-being and in your prosperity as a human than you are. So talk to him and he will meet you. You can do it today. You can do it towards the end of the meeting. Maybe you can ask one of the people who are local and they will help you understand how to meet Jesus and how to pledge your alliance to him who is the creator. I'm going to finish now with my talk and I hope something has stirred something in you as it did in me. Preparing this kind of message is transformational for me. It reminds me of my dad, of his shortcomings, but also the good things I inherited from him. Let's just hope we can give something to the next generation. Let's just hope we can have a legacy to part on. If the band is ready, you're, um, I think it's a good moment for you to come up. We will also have communion in a, in a minute. And while we, whilst we come to the table and we partake, in the Lord's Supper, I would like us all to remember that God became one of us so that we can become one of His. Remember what He did for you and remember, keep that in mind, He is the good Father, not like the ones who are broken here on earth. Amen.